0: Welcome to Legends from the Hill, the Franciscan University alumni podcast, where I talk to alumni about their candid experiences as students and what they're doing in life now. Here in Season 3, we look forward to hearing from alumni across the globe about how Franciscan University has impacted their life and the lives of people around them. I'm your host, Christy Fleming, Class of 2010 and Director of Alumni Relations at Franciscan. Thanks for joining Legends from the Hill podcast. Today we have Jason Negri on the podcast. Jason is a 1992 grad with a history degree and a 96 grad with his master's. After working for the university in a couple different capacities, he went on to law school and has been practicing law and serving his community. He and his wife proudly have a daughter who is an alum and another daughter as a student right now. Jason is a member of our alumni board and a great advocate for Franciscan. Let's welcome Jason to the podcast. Great. Jason, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: We would love to go back and start from the beginning. If you can give us a little bit about where you're from and how did you choose to come to Franciscan to study?
1: Okay. I am originally from Long Island, New York. And when I was a freshman in high school, the uh, the, the two women who ran my high school religious education program in our parish um, brought some kids to Steubenville for a high school conference weekend during the summer, and I was one of the kids who went. Um, I was pretty naive when I came to uh, anything charismatic, uh, anything Catholic, for that matter, um, and I had never visited any other college, so I went back for the successive uh, summers, going to the conferences every summer after that. And when it came time to pick what college I wanted to go to, since Franciscans was the only campus I had ever been to or visited, I just kind of by default uh, said, well, that's probably where I'm going to go. My mom really wanted me to go, and she and my dad made it pretty clear that uh, that they would pay for it if I went to Franciscan. And if I didn't like it after a year... I could transfer and go somewhere else, but I had to at least give it a try.
0: Mm-hmm. And I really
1: didn't have the gumption to to fight back. So I figured, all right, that sounds like a fair deal. I'll uh, I'll go for a year, see what happens. My my guidance counselors were pushing me to apply to more prestigious schools. Um, I, I wanted, in a vague sense, to uh, to go to a more prestigious school, but like I said, it, it uh, my mom's deal sounded good to me. So I figured I would give it a try and then maybe transfer to Harvard or something like that. And after a year at Franciscan, I fell in love and didn't want to go anywhere else.
0: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. The The conference gets the hook and then the school kind of sells itself after yes. the student experience. Exactly. So what was life <laughs> as a student like during that time? What did you find that you got involved mm-hmm. in? How did you decide what to study? What was that all like?
1: Uh, well, I picked history as a major because I wanted to go to law school. And uh, I was advised that history was a good foundation for studying law afterwards. Um, As far as my activities, I jumped right into SAB, uh, Student Activities Board, very involved in my freshman year. Also during my freshman year was when um, Operation Rescue first hit campus. So for those of you who know your your campus history, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Franciscan became known and earned its reputation for pro-life activism. Um, and, and the operation rescue movement really took off on campus. Well, it hit when I was a freshman and I got very involved in that. So my first uh, two, three years as a student, um, I was heavily involved in operation rescue. And, uh, and that dictated a lot of other stuff. I, I had formed a household with some friends of mine. We formed the household uh, Servi Day. It may or may not still be active on campus. Um, but once I started doing a lot more rescuing and pro-life work, I found myself hanging out with uh, with the people who were also doing that. And it turns out that was the guys in Lion of Judah household. Hmm. So after uh, being a founding member of Servi Day, I determined that I was probably more of a Judah. And I uh, I switched over to Lion of Judah and, and stayed with them through graduation. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because those, those were the guys uh, that I was with, uh, you know, on Saturday mornings, picketing down to Pittsburgh or, or getting thrown into jail for rescuing, things like that. Um, I was hanging out with those guys anyway they were they were jocks I was not a jock so I wasn't a, uh, an obvious Judah at that point mm-hmm. but, um, but they accepted me and we had a great time during my, uh, my my final three years of school. I actually wrote the household prayer that I think is still in use right now mm-hmm. uh, from what I understand Now when I went back to campus a couple of years ago for a reunion uh, I joined line of Judah for um, for Lord's day so I think they're still active and it's, it's kind of cool to go back and see them still still doing their thing.
0: They are. Yeah, they're definitely a presence on campus. So nice. that's awesome.
1: Can- and actually, it's kind of cool. My uh, my daughter, who is currently a sophomore at Franciscan for this past Christmas, she bought me a Lion of Judah sweatshirt oh. that the guys are currently wearing with mm-hmm. the logo and everything. So it's, it's kind of fun.
0: Oh, very cool. That's a yeah. good continuation. Exactly. That's awesome. Can- I want to hear more about the Project Rescue and all of that. What was that like during that era?
1: Wow. It was, um, it really turned campus upside down. You know, there were uh, a number of us students involved in it. Some faculty members um, were were involved. uh, Deciding that you, and especially for me, I'm I'm very much a a rules and law and order type of person. So coming to the conclusion that this form of civil disobedience was something that we felt compelled to do. um, That was a big switch uh, for my life. Um, I, I, I knew I was risking my future. I wasn't sure what I was going to do eventually. Like I said, I was considering law school. Um, I was young and naive and didn't possibly fully think through the ramifications of that level of civil disobedience and getting arrested uh, to, to, to help the unborn. But, um, but it was something that I was convicted to do at the time. And like I said, a lot of my fellow students and even some faculty and staff were doing it as well. But then there were a fair number of people on campus who were very uncomfortable with it and uh, and, and spoke out against it. Um, so it was um, it was a tumultuous couple of years. Uh, Father Michael Scanlon, of course, was, joined a rescue at one point. Um, he and, and the Bishop of Steubenville both got arrested in Youngstown and spent uh, almost a week in jail. And that drew a lot of attention, You know, having somebody of Father Mike's stature and the bishop, too, being mm-hmm. um, involved in something like that. And then after I had been involved for a year and a half or so, um, the penalties for rescuing became much, much stiffer. Hmm. And it came down to we all of us had to make a choice because you could no longer rescue and still be a full time student. Uh, Everybody had to make a choice, one or the other, because it was getting to the point where serious jail time was was being involved and you uh and if you were missing your final exams and and uh you know three uh, three-fifths of, of your schooling it simply wasn't possible to do both so a number of students friends of mine left uh left school completely and and uh decided to rescue full-time at least temporarily oh wow and, uh, and I, I made the other choice and i decided that i was going to stay in school and uh, continue and get my degree that's what i did
0: hmm <laughs> Wow, that's really powerful. And I think it's cool to see the influence that that has of like as a student, you do have to make those choices. But I feel like like you said, there's kind of a naivety or like a a college student, you think you're invincible. So it's like, yeah, I can oh, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah. I can do this.
1: So absolutely. And and you know, there's, there's a long proud tradition of college activism, right? Going back to the 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 Kent State. Um, protests back in the 60s, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even nowadays, even though I may disagree with their political positions, the idea of the the radical college activist is still very much, um, you know, it's a trope. Mm-hmm. People recognize that that's what it is. Well, we at Franciscan had our own version of that mm-hmm.
0: too. Yeah, that's really cool. All right. So you said you were thinking of law school after that and different things. So where did life after graduation take you?
1: Um, well, it was kind of a circuitous route. Uh, I did eventually go to law school, though it was many years later. After graduation, I stuck around Steubenville because I had fallen in love with a young woman who was two years behind me, and she still had to finish up school. So I wound up getting a job at the university, and I was working in fundraising and development for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, she graduated. We Actually, we got married first, and she was married during her senior year of mm. uh, of college, which was kind of fun. We, uh, we started our family in Steubenville, had two children. And I got a master's degree while I was working there. I was uh, in the the education administration program, so I got my master's there. And then we decided that we wanted to move close to family. So in 1996, I gave my notice, and we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, which is where my wife is from. Um, We moved there, I got a good job, and I realized after moving there that I absolutely hated Phoenix. Um, I couldn't stand the heat. I was, you know, I missed the change of seasons. Uh, I really, I know some people love it. God bless them. It's not, I'm, it's not for me. So uh, I was looking for an opportunity to leave Phoenix and move back east. And at that time, there was uh, a bit of a, a shift in the university administration and priorities. And I wound up coming back to take the job of alumni director. Um, which was of course one of the best jobs you could possibly have. You're getting paid to stay in touch with your friends from college.
0: Exactly, and, and I know that well. Just,
1: <laughs> oh yes you do. Uh, and, and to keep them in touch with your, your beloved alma mater, it's, uh, it was wonderful. So for three glorious years, I was the alumni director uh, until 2000 came. And in the year 2000, I left, we left Steubenville again to move to Michigan so that I could be part of the inaugural class of Ave Maria Law School. Um, so we moved to Michigan. I did my three years in law school became a lawyer and stayed in Michigan and here we are.
0: Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's amazing. <clears throat> and you've been very involved in the community and practicing law in a, a couple different ways. So what has been kind of the most uh, poignant part or what you've enjoyed most about practicing law?
1: Well, I knew from the beginning, I, I, was, I was an older student going to law school. Um, you know, I, I was just shy of 30 when I, when I first enrolled in law school. So I was older than a lot of my classmates. Already had three kids and I knew that I didn't want to follow the stereotypical path of the, the corporate lawyer who's working 70, 80 hours a week. Um, you know, despite a fantastic paycheck, that just wasn't a commitment that I was willing to make. Um, I wanted to still have a relationship with my wife and kids. So, uh, I knew from the beginning that I just, my, my desire was to kind of just be the Atticus Finch of my hometown. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wanted to be the local attorney that everybody knew and trusted. Um, I would be able to pick and choose what cases I wanted to take um, and, uh, and just be able to serve my, my clients and my community. And that, in a roundabout way, eventually that's kind of what happened. Um, I, I also have a, a passion for politics, so I wound up running for local office as a township trustee for my township, which I won. Uh, after a couple of defeats, I, uh, I finally won, so I was elected to a four-year term, and that's a, a very, very part-time position. Which so I, I still had a full time job elsewhere, but in 2016, our township treasurer was retiring, and he asked me to consider running to replace him. And that was a bit much bigger commitment. That was actually a half time position. Hmm. So, huh. uh, so I won that election, and since 2016, I have been the treasurer of my township, and the other half of my time I spend as an attorney.
0: Okay. So it's, uh,
1: <laughs> you know it still leaves me a lot of flexibility. Uh, 20 hours a week in the township office and the treasury and then as many hours as I want or need to practice law. Mm-hmm. It, um, it prevents me from from taking on certain cases that I know are too big
0: mm-hmm. for,
1: for a part-time lawyer but it, it gives me the flexibility to be able to take the cases I like uh, which is a lot of estate planning, a lot of probate, transactional work. Um, I don't thrive on litigation like some attorneys do. I'd much rather keep my clients out of court than, mm-hmm. uh, than represent them in court afterwards but I do occasionally take on the occasional civil suit. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's diverse and uh, keeps me on my toes and I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's really cool that you did get to where you thought you were going to be. And you've the journey to get there, you know, might not have been what you expected, but you got there. No,
1: (laughs) It was not a straight path. It took took a lot of of turns. And um, but it it was it was good in the long run. You know, you look back on it and you realize that there were um, I learned a lot from from the paths that didn't lead me directly to where I am right now. But they they rounded me out in ways that I didn't know I needed to be rounded out. So mm-hmm. all in all, I think it's been um, you know I'm, I'm I've never been happier professionally than mm-hmm. I am right now. I don't have um, huge designs on uh, on doing anything else. Although I did run for statewide office last year, that was interesting. Oh, um, so yeah, I uh, I decided I was going to give it a try, and I was halfway through my term as treasurer, so it was safe for me to uh, to make this this move. So I ran for state representative. Um, and I, I lost in the primary, but it was a fantastic experience. And, um, and I still had two more years left as, uh, as treasurer, which I'm, I'm currently in my final year there, too. So,
0: Yeah, what so, was that experience that was of running for state like?
1: Um, it was good. The scrutiny was, as I had heard, was a lot higher than it is uh, for simply local office. Um, there were some cases. It, it's disappointing, actually, what the political process has become. Um, the 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 outright lies that opponents and other political parties and operatives will spread about you. Um, it would be too detailed to get into during this interview, but um, I had formed a nonprofit uh, at one point to assist victims of clerical sexual abuse here in my diocese of Lansing, and doing that as as what I thought you, you know my motivations to do that were. Uh, were to help these people to get them the justice and the hearing that they needed, to push back on on a culture of abuse that I saw as taking place, and to have that twisted into something malicious against me in my political hmm. uh, pursuits, that was very very disheartening. Mm-hmm. You know, to have say that I formed that nonprofit uh, simply to to take advantage of people and to to take their money and stuff was. Um, and the word is overused, but it was hurtful mm-hmm. to, to have lies like that spread about me. And it's so much easier to spread a lie than to try to explain what really happened. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how many people got that uh, that wrong message out there.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: but all too often, I think people are too ready to believe lies about their enemies mm-hmm. uh, particularly their political enemies mm-hmm. and uh, I, I knew it was happening in a general sense but to have it actually happen to me was eye-opening and um and painful so that too difficult though it was has given me um a new perspective whenever i hear people talk about my political enemies okay. i'm no longer as inclined as i once was to just readily believe everything that is said about them because i know from experience that it's not all true
0: mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you also, your experience of being in college and the thread of uh, standing up for those that need a voice has continued and you've been able to, you know, if you're not doing you weren't doing it full time in college, but you've been able to really use that voice and stand up for people, which is amazing. Yeah,
1: I, it's, I think it's, um, to, yeah, use the word amazing. I don't really see it as being amazing. I think it's just, it's something that every person of good character and conscience ought to be doing. To whatever degree they can, um, you know, if you if you see an injustice, you really need to do something about it. Mm. Um, so it's uh, it, it's a shame. The world that we have created There's a lot of injustice out there. But, uh, you know, if, if everyone does their part and tries to help in ways that they can, hopefully it'll make a difference for, uh, you know, for the victims.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing that. That's important work. So based on all of your experiences and everything that you've done, do you have any advice to students that might be in a similar experience? I know you said your daughter is a student at Franciscan, yeah. so I'm sure you've <laughs> given her plenty of, of advice, but any <laughs> any advice that you have for young
1: people? Yeah, I um, m- my biggest <laughs> mistakes when I was a college student had to do with failing to properly prepare for what came next. Um, I knew that college was only a four-year experience and that I like the whole purpose of it was to form myself personally and intellectually uh, for what came next. But I didn't take the steps necessary, practically speaking, to do that. Um, and it caused a lot of pain for me and a lot of problems in my life. Um, as I mentioned earlier, some of those detours and, and, and not straight paths wound up working out okay and rounded me out in ways, but others were uh, were unnecessarily painful, I think, and could have been avoided if I had just properly prepared myself and focused on on what was to come. So, I understand the university has done a much much better job in the past couple of years um, preparing students, getting everybody to realize from day one that this is not a four year retreat, this is not the end. You know, enjoy your time while you're here, but don't pretend that this is where you're going to end up. Right. Mm-hmm. The whole point of a college education is to get that degree and move on and do something with the rest of your life. Um, so my advice is probably not necessary anymore because mm-hmm. as I said, I've heard the university is doing a much better job of it. Um, but but if there are any students who are still treating college like it's a four year retreat, um, you know, that's that's what I would say is the most important thing is take those steps, do what you have to do to prepare yourself for what comes next. And um, you won't regret it, mm-hmm. whereas you probably will regret uh, if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I found myself um, a little bit aimless, you know, thinking that the rest of the world was just going to couldn't wait to hire somebody like me. And uh, and because of my personal decision to stay in Steubenville, because my wife, my, my fiance at the time was still there, um, the job market in Steubenville was pretty awful back in the uh, in the early to mid 90s. If you didn't get a job at the university, there really wasn't much else to do. Um, and I spent months unemployed waiting for, uh, for a suitable job to open up the university, which it eventually did. But it um, it caused a lot of problems and a lot of turmoil for me at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, it could have been avoided if I had just been more practical during my time on campus.
0: hmm yeah yeah I do feel like Father Dave is very good about like we want you out. We want you to go out into the world and be that light in the different areas exactly. and parts of your life. so that's how it should be
1: right. We love you, but get out of here and <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's yeah. wonderful to hear kind of where God has taken you in your journey. So can mm-hmm. I take you back to um, a couple of our Hot Takes from the Hill questions to talk, to think, have you think about your student experience a little bit more? Um, sure. So who was your favorite professor?
1: Gosh, I got to give one answer. Um, probably Jim Gaston. Professor Gaston, um, I, I only had him for one class my, my last semester, senior year. And he knocked my intellectual socks off. I, I was always a good student, but I never really gave a second thought to the whole idea of the intellectual life as such. Um, I never really thought about that whole concept of the unity of truth. I didn't really think about the, the interplay between philosophy and literature, and history, and the sciences, and all those things, and and taking Jim Gaston's class hit me over the head and opened my eyes to a world that I didn't even know existed. It was too late for me, I think, to pursue the academic life as a career, but at least taking his class made me realize that it was a viable possibility, and that I had gone through the previous three and a half years of college without really considering these
0: things. Hmm. Very cool. And with yeah, that, what was your favorite class that you took?
1: It was probably that class I took with Jim Gaston or any one of the uh, history classes with Dr. Carrick. John mm-hmm. Carrick, I think, was before your time, but he was the uh, the chair of the history department and he was my academic advisor and a beloved professor of uh, most of the students, So, all of us history majors, had Dr. Carrick a number of times. Um, and I, I can't even tell you a particular class of his because we would basically just sit there and listen to him, uh, just spout out all he knew about history. And, and, um, it was, it was wonderful. He was a storyteller and, and an academic and an intellectual and personable and everything that a college professor should be. Hmm.
0: Very cool. Um, where was your favorite place to study as a student?
1: Um, probably my room. Mm-hmm. I, just, I would just usually hole up in my room or the library, either or. But mm-hmm. but uh, most of my studying was probably done just in my room by myself.
0: Which dorm were you in?
1: Uh, St. Francis, Saint. all four years.
0: All right. Very good. <laughs> and you kind of touched on this, but what was your favorite campus activity as a student?
1: My favorite activity was actually singing with my band. Mm. Um my sophomore year, I think it was and and a freshman year, beginning of sophomore year, in addition to everything else, right. In addition to my classes and operation rescue and SAB and stuff, um, I formed a band. So there were two of us playing acoustic guitar, uh, and then four voices, two guys and two girls. And we played on, a, we played coffee houses on campus. Often we wound up being asked to take over the music for the eight o'clock morning mass on mm. Sundays, at Christ the King chapel. Um, and, and we actually had a much, even though we, we sang a lot of folk music um, when, when we were play out in concert, our liturgical bent was much more traditional. Mm-hmm. So I think our singing the 8 o'clock morning mass um, on Sundays was the genesis of that mass being kind of along more traditional lines. We weren't doing Gregorian chant. It was still guitar music. Mm-hmm. you got to remember, this is still the 1990s. Um, but our, our style was very harmonic and um, and a lot more traditional for mass than the much more charismatic uh, 1030 mass.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so and I understand that tradition is also continued. So mm-hmm. there you go.
0: Yeah, very cool. All right. And finally, have you ever run into an alum in an unexpected place? I'm sure <laughs> being the alumni director, you did in many, ex, you know, circumstances. But any other times right. that you've run into an alum?
1: Um, it had. At- Whenever I've had to travel, uh, whether for work or for pleasure, and you go to mass at an unfamiliar parish, almost, oh, not every time, but almost every time I have found Franciscan alumni that I knew (laughs) at that parish. And I guarantee you that even if I didn't know them, there was probably at least one Franciscan alum in the congregation, even if I didn't know who they were. Um, The the clearest example of this was probably on our honeymoon. Uh, My wife and I got married in, uh, in Phoenix, but we honeymooned in San Diego. And we just picked a parish at random to go to uh, on the, the Sunday during our honeymoon. And darned if we weren't three or four rows behind one of her household sisters. Wow. Who turned around wow. for the sign of peace and just had this wide eyed stare seeing us a couple of rows back. And um, yeah, that was fantastic. And that sort of experience has happened repeatedly throughout my life.
0: All over the place. I love that. Very fun. <laughs> Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. It's really cool to hear about the time of your that you were a student and where you are now. So thank you for being such a public servant and all the ways that you have given back to Franciscan and continue to be a legacy parent today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. The Franciscan formed me into the person that I am right now. And, and you know, my wife and I both, our, our entire household, um, we have Franciscan to thank for it because that's, that's where we met. And um yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to to still be in touch with the university, to be on the alumni board, to have um, now my second daughter uh, go there. My my older daughter had graduated from there in 2018. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, hoping to continue the relationship for many years to come.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Christy. Take care.
0: Do you know an alumni with a story to tell? We wanna share legends from the entire university history and would love your suggestions. Email us at alumni at franciscan.edu. And I'll be back here in two weeks with a new conversation you won't wanna miss.